This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. What's up, Elevate? Welcome back. It's great to be here with you tonight. Thank you, worship team. You guys are phenomenal. Thank you for coming week after week. They are We are in this building, the Apocalypse 5. Bring an Elevate to you, wherever you are. (laughs) I love you, Elevate. It's good to be here. If you you love Elevate 2, hit the heart button a whole bunch of times. Give us a like. Comment a whole bunch of times in the comment section. That gets the word out to more people. Share this on your page. Message it to people any way that you can get the word of God out to to share it with other people is is wonderful and beautiful. So please, uh, please do that. Please engage Uh, with the social media platforms that we're on. We are moving into week, chapter 5, of going through the fruit of the Spirit. And to be completely honest, um, this one on gentleness has been a real uh, slow challenge for me. It it was hard to kind of find a string of thought and to define some of the terms. And so please bear with me. Holy Spirit, this is all yours. It's from you, Lord, and I give it back to you as an offering. Empower me to speak your word. And Lord, I pray that we all engage in the worship of opening up our hearts to the seed of your word into our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Elevate, I discovered a beautiful ministry today. It's a very similar ministry to the one that my wife was a part of throughout five or six of her teenage years, and it it is a ministry of therapeutic writing. What this ministry does, they are called, ironically, because of our camp, they're called New Heights Therapeutic Writing Center, and they help old veterans with PTSD, and they help uh, children and, and adult women that have been through human trafficking, and they help uh, people with mental and physical disabilities of all kinds through getting them onto horses. And then through horseback riding and certain challenges and goals that they, they walk them through, they operate as therapists helping people expand and, and help with language and, and physical skills. And it's a beautiful, beautiful ministry. And I was so glad to, to get to find out about them today and talk to their program director. And I learned some really powerful things from them. Their program director that I got to speak to today, her name was Vicki Eland. And I asked her, what motivates your staff? What motivates your therapists to show up in the morning? And she said this, they desire to make a difference in the lives of the riders and in their families. You see, for them, there's no internal voice looking at at people with these physical disabilities, and they're not saying to themselves, oh, poor you, I guess I'll be extra nice to you today. No, they, they function with a very different heart than someone that just has pity. Every word that they say, every hug that they give, every challenge and direction and guidance that they offer is all through a spirit of gentleness, of absolute beautiful gentleness. And according to Vicki, she said, and I quote, gentleness is of the utmost importance. 
We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. You can find it in Galatians 5, 22 through 25, and I'll read those verses for you. But the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Step by step is the name of our series. And it gives us the impression of walking arm in arm with Jesus Christ, walking in His Spirit. And notice that these are not the works of a Christian. They are the fruit of that Holy Spirit. And so this has nothing to do with us trying to be better, like I need more joy or I need to be more patient this week. Every bit of this is pressing into walking with the Holy Spirit so that He flows through us. I love what John 15 says, verses 4 through 5. Jesus is talking, saying, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We as the branches can only bear the fruit of the tree, of the vine that we are on, and that is Jesus. And so this fruit of the Spirit is an overflow of who we are walking step by step with. That is Jesus Christ. So tonight's message is on gentleness. And again, we're not talking about pursuing being nice. That's what the rest of the world is. We're asking the question, what does a follower of Jesus Christ look like? They are gentle. Romans 12, 15 through 20 says it probably the most beautifully. And he says this. We're going to come back to this verse over and over again. This is a verse worth underlining in your Bible. It's a game changer. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Not just other Christians, not just with people that you relate to or that like you. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. The dictionary defines gentleness as being of mild manners or disposition. But the Bible defines it very differently. It defines it as treating others, write this down, treating others with patient mercy and grace from a nature of meekness and humility. Treating others with patient mercy and grace. Think about those therapists who are helping their, the people on the horseback. And people that may give them trouble or they may have special needs and they're operating with patience, with patient mercy and grace. Mercy is not giving the negative thing that someone deserves. Grace is giving something great that someone doesn't deserve. Isn't that what God did for us? He didn't give us the punishment we do deserve and he gives us salvation and life everlasting that we don't deserve. And so what is gentleness? 
It is treating others with patient mercy and grace out of a nature of meekness and humility. Biblical gentleness is not expressed when you're petting your dog. Biblical gentleness is not expressed when you're holding your girlfriend's hand. No, no, it is most clearly expressed in the life of a believer whenever our circumstances are difficult and when we are expressing it towards someone that does not deserve gentleness. That's when the Holy Spirit is at work. That is when a believer expresses biblical gentleness. Romans 12, 17 through 20, Repay no one for evil, for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. That's gentleness. That's meekness and humility. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Peaceful and patient mercy and grace towards your enemy. Gentleness is a powerful force. Actually, if you kept reading in Romans, it would say that by doing so, by showing gentleness to people that are your enemy, to the people that hurt you, the people that are against you, you're heaping up coals on their head. They can't imagine a world where they would treat you so wrongly and you would treat them with such love. Proverbs 15.1 says, a what? Gentle answer. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Gentleness is a powerful force. It's one that we so seldomly use because we're pretty sure that if we're gentle towards people that don't like us, that we're going to become doormats. We'll get to that in a second. Every definition, every commentary, every wise advisor that I asked about this always tied in meekness and humility with the word gentleness. And so we need to define those. I want to show this this picture of a watch behind me. And you'll see that the watch has a whole bunch of gears behind the face of the watch. And so you have up front, you have, it's a little bit more simple. You just have several, you have the hour hand, the minute hand, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look behind that face, you see all these gears at work. And what is going on in the life of a believer is because they're connected to Jesus Christ, Jesus has changed their very inward nature to be meek and humble. That is our nature. That's what's going on in the inside. And out of that meekness, out of that humility, overflows into our actions, gentleness. Humility. How do we define humility? It is the proper view of yourself. It is having a low view of your own importance. Associated words with humility are uncomfortable words like this. Poor, afflictive, afflicted, Patiently submissive. Patiently submissive. Ouch. That's uncomfortable. And a key word directly associated with humility is meekness. Now, I'll be honest with you. In all the scripture that I've read, it seems that humility and meekness are synonymous. And if you can show a biblical definition of how they're different, I would love to, to, to check that out. So please you know, put it in the comments or call me, text me afterwards. Uh, but as far as I can tell, meekness and humility are, are very, very similar things. And so I'm going to use them back and forth tonight. Philippians 2, 3-4 through 4 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, as in, I'm no longer going to put myself as the direction that I'm looking. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Where you're looking around and everyone that you meet, everyone you come in contact with, you actually see them in a view of deserving more honor than you do yourself. That's humility. It's a low view of your importance. This is, not, this is not self-abuse and, oh, I'm terrible at life. No, no, no. I love the way Derek Dunn defined it, the previous youth pastor here. He said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, woe is me. I, I suck at life. No, it's just thinking of yourself less, less often. It's thinking of others more than you think about yourself. What a great definition. The mother of Oral Roberts, who founded Oral Roberts University, and your grandmother probably knows of his ministry all over the country, his mother always told him, especially as he was a boy, to always be small in his own eyes. I think that's what Jesus is asking of us. It's time that we start having a bigger picture of of Jesus and a bigger picture of other people because we're supposed to love Jesus and love people over ourselves. Mark 10, 42-45 James and John come to Jesus, and if I was to just sum it up, they were saying this, Jesus, we want power. Give us power. We want to be great. And how does Jesus respond? You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They boss people around. And in their, their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your service servant. Greatness equals serving. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Boy, that's uncomfortable. Doesn't that dig you just a little bit? In God's kingdom, in this upside down kingdom, he says that if we are to be great, we are to make ourselves submissive and to think of ourselves less than everyone else. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the beautiful thing, remember I said that gentleness is a powerful force? It's because God honors gentleness. Check these out. Psalm 149.4, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. That's kind of cool. Matthew 5.5, in a culture, in a Roman culture, where pride and self-confidence were elevated, they were escalated. If you, if you saw someone who was very haughty about themselves, you saw that as a good thing. And Jesus takes this whole culture and throws it on the ground, flips it over, and he says this. And it's so simple. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Our culture isn't much different today. Think of all our celebrities. Think of everyone who is important. Think of everyone in the political system. They always come across like they've got it all figured out, right? They always come across like they're powerful and they look down on the lowly beneath them. Yeah. But Jesus flips that upside down and says, no, no, no. Those who are patiently submissive, those who are poor in spirit, those who are meek, those who are humble, those are the ones who inherit the earth. Those are the ones that God adorns with salvation. Look how how this is contrasted between wickedness and meekness and humility in Psalm 37. I'm going to read verse 10 through 15. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. 
Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Where's the wicked? We can't find them anymore. That's how the author sees it. But the meek, did you know this? Jesus was actually quoting Psalm 37 when he said, the meek will inherit the earth. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So the wicked, the ones that are always trying to grasp for power, they're gone. But the meek are living in the land in peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and they bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, the meek, to slay those whose way is upright. But their sword will enter their own heart and their their bows will be broken. God defends the gentle, the meek, the lowly, the humble. In short, Psalm 47, 5 through 6 says this, Great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is above measure. The Lord lifts up the humble, and he casts down the wicked to the ground. Humility and meekness aren't just lipstick that you keep in the purse that you take out occasionally as needed. No, these are the nature of a Christian, of a believer who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. They're the the nature that has stepped away from walking in the flesh and is now walking in the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6 says this, All of you clothe yourselves. Not take out the tool of humility. No, clothe yourselves, drape yourselves, saturate yourselves in humility towards one another. Because what? God opposes the proud, but shows favor, lifts up the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Lift you up in due time. Micah 6, 8 makes it so simple. It's talking about what God has said, and he says, Oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly before your God? Not take out the humble tool. No, to be bathed in, to walk in, to have a changed nature inside of us, to walk humbly. The program director over at New Heights Therapeutic Writing Center, she told me that her biggest challenge, I found this so interesting for tonight, her biggest challenge is pairing up the appropriate horse with the appropriate rider. Why? They actually have to screen horses. They spend a lot of time with the horses before they ever put someone on it. Because if you've ever spent time around horses, you know that a horse can sense your emotions. I don't know how. It feels it through your legs or your butt cheeks. I don't know what it is. But a horse can sense your emotions. If someone climbs on the horse and they're nervous, the horse can feel it and the horse will suddenly try to take control. It'll start running or turning when it's not supposed to because the horse knows it has power. But if someone sits on the back of the horse with confidence, the horse knows that it needs to submit. So they need to find horses that are gentle. They need to find horses that do not, and she used this word, please hang on to this word. She used horses, uses horses that do not react to the emotions of the rider. How often... Do we as Christians just react 
to the situation around us. We're just thermometers. If the situation gets tense, we get tense. And if the situation is fine, we're fine. If someone comes against us, we dig our heels and we, we get ready for battle. And if someone is nice to us, we're so nice back to them. But God, as he is expanding his kingdom, he needs Jesus' followers on the front lines that don't just react to situations. He needs the kind of Jesus followers that are thermostats, that change the situations they step into, that bring gentleness into contention. Remember what a gentle word calms situations. Isn't that amazing? That's what God is calling us to be. His people are supposed to be people of gentleness. That when we step into difficult situations, when we're overrun with difficult situations, we don't react to them. We choose who we will walk with. Will we walk in the flesh or will we walk arm in arm with the Holy Spirit? Am I going to react or am I going to respond to this? She's looking for gentle horses that do not react. God is looking for believers that are gentle and they don't just react. Romans 12, 15 through 18. We're going to read it again. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's the kind of a Christian that responds to a situation. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with who? With the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. When someone treats you poorly, when someone treats you with evil, we don't react. We treat them with gentleness. This is so hard. Isn't this crazy? What is Jesus thinking? This is not how we are wired at all. We are very comfortable walking in the flesh. But Jesus flips it upside down and challenges us, challenges our very nature. And you know what? Our nature can't be changed without him. These are fruit of walking with the Spirit. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We are so concerned with being a doormat. Let's be honest. We're so concerned, if I esteem others over myself, especially that one, they're going to try to run over me. They're going to try to just take control, and I'm going to be a doormat. I wonder how much of that reaction is coming out of a prideful nature. Yeah, right? I want to take a look at the example of Moses in a situation that I have heard these verses many times and I'm sure I've read it, but I forgot the context that it was in. This is in Numbers Chapter 12, Moses has taken a wife, and his sister and brother, Miriam and Aaron, are really angry about it. And so it says that they spoke against him. I don't know if this meant that they were, like, gossiping about him with each other, if there was some sort of big argument, you know, together, if they were bad-mouthing him to the other people, the other Israelites. I don't know what that means. I just know that it says that they spoke against him. Here, and I'll, I'll read how things went down. This is almost chilling. And they said, this is verse 2, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken also through us? You have to understand what they're saying. 
what they're saying is God used us in the past to, to prophesy. So obviously, we are on the same level as Moses. God is interacting with us just the same as he does with him. They're, they're not esteeming Moses for the responsibility God gave him. They're trying to be haughty and lift themselves up. And the Lord heard it. Verse 3, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Did you know that about Moses? Moses, standing before Pharaoh with a stutter. He was more meek than all the people on the earth. God speaks to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and they hear him plainly. God calls them out. He, and the three of them, you have to imagine the three of them standing there, and they're like, okay, they're before the tent, and the cloud of God comes down on the tent, and God calls names. He doesn't call in Moses' names. He has Aaron and Miriam step forward. And so they step forward towards the cloud. And Moses is back there like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> you know, whatever, God, I'll go with you. And God calls them out. And he's like, why on earth would you ever think to talk against my servant Moses? And God, right there on the spot, gives Miriam leprosy. And Aaron turns and he's like, ah, leprosy, right? And Moses, this is when Moses steps up. He steps up and just like he does over and over and over again for the people of Israel, Moses intercedes on behalf of Miriam and Aaron and asks God to heal her. And God grants that. But I want you to, I want you to catch what God says to them. This is verse 7. God is speaking to Aaron, Aaron and Miriam and he says this, he, talking about Moses, is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? As in, the relationship I have with Moses is way different than what you've got. I speak differently with him. And you know why? Because rewind to verse 2, because Moses is not elevating himself to compare himself with other people. Moses is meek. Moses is the, the most meek man on earth, according to Scripture. He was lowly. He esteemed others above himself. Maybe that's what drove him over and over again to plead for the lives of the Israelites when they didn't deserve it. Maybe that was mercy. Maybe that was grace operating inside of Moses. Maybe that was gentleness. Define gentleness, treating others with patient mercy and grace out of a nature of meekness and humility. Moses was gentle. 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he, what did he do for Moses? He may lift you up. Notice we don't have any speech of Moses. Whenever they're speaking against him, we don't have Moses' response. Moses just stays quiet. And it's God that deals with the situation. Do we, elevate, ask yourself, do we genuinely believe that God's will and timing is better than our own? That's tough. Do we really trust God enough to let him handle situations and to let him handle battles for us? Do we really love Jesus enough to obey him? If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. That's John 14. And don't forget, our battle has never been 
with people, with flesh and blood. Our battle has always been with spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so it must be God that fights our battles. We must not just react to situations. I almost didn't read this quote because it's so uncomfortable. And it, it, it pinches my pride. And I was kind of concerned that if I pinched your pride, you might not like it. But Jesus said a lot of things we don't like, so here goes. This is coming from a Bible commentary written by F. Hawk and S. Schultz, and they wrote this about meekness. The meek do not resent adversity because they accept everything as being the effect of God's wise and loving purpose for them, so that they accept injuries from men also, knowing that they are permitted by God for their ultimate good. I just need to leave that alone. That's, that's uncomfortable. But let's not forget what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 43-45. You've heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But what? You know the verse. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons or daughters of your Father who is in heaven. As in, we're not sons and daughters. We can't claim to be following Jesus unless we are willing to be gentle to our enemies, to have patient grace and mercy towards them. A few verses earlier in verse 38, Matthew 5, Jesus says, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the left. And if anyone would sue you to take your your jacket, let him have your shirt as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him too. And I've heard some weird commentators and, and pastors try to do some sort of contextual jujitsu to get out of the fact that it actually says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to your left also. A lot of people try to bend it and twist it and get out of it because it's so uncomfortable, but I'm not going to walk away from the bold black and white words of Jesus. That's meekness. That's humility. That is having enough faith and dependency on our God that he fights our battles. Now, as a disclaimer, if you are living in a situation of abuse at home, get out. This is not an excuse to stay and let yourself be abused. That is a completely different situation. But back to the topic of this whole meekness thing. I just want to say, and I'm quoting somebody much wiser than me, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that give me the most trouble. It's the parts that I understand all too well. Jesus is so clear on how we treat our enemies and how we operate in gentleness. And I love this, because gentleness does not make us a doormat. It never means that we back down from speaking truth of the gospel. 2 Timothy 2, 23-26, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Notice, we're talking about the context of truth. You know that they just breed quarrels, arguments, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but what? Kind to everyone, able to teach, but patiently, enduring evil. You hear gentleness in this? When the definition of gentleness is treating others with patient mercy, and grace, out of a nature of meekness and humility. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with what? 
with gentleness. I've heard a lot of arguing. I've heard a lot of scripture argue. I've heard a lot of Christians argue. And I can tell you that the ones that come in aggressive because they feel like they're, they've got to prove their point, they've got to put someone in their place, they have never once won someone to Jesus Christ. No. We correct and we teach truth with gentleness. Why? Because God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of truth that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. No. If there's a place we don't back down, we don't back down from truth. I love the quote, speak truth even if your voice shakes. Speak truth even if your voice is shaking. Even if you have that adrenaline, it's so scary. We are not called to back down from speaking truth in gentleness. Not truth, I'm right and you're wrong. No, truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is king. This is a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. Man, he was a cool guy. The ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Dr. Martin Luther King, how did Jesus act? We have several instances of Jesus who is approaching a situation where they wanted to kill him. They tried to throw him off a cliff. They're waiting in Jerusalem to attack him. And we see in those instances that Jesus removes himself from that situation, right? And we see instances where Jesus like debates and argues truth, sometimes with people that are just straight up evil. But Jesus is never shown raising a hand against them. And in all that arguing, he never demeans them. He calls them some, some pretty difficult things to hear, what, brood of vipers and sons of the devil. But you have to understand in those times that Jesus is only ever speaking truth with the intent of directing them back to the Father. Jesus can be cutting and he, he can be confrontational, but he is never aggressive and he is never harsh. He is always gentle. Think about Jesus' life. I challenge you, come up with more. Come up with more stories than what I list here and put them in the comments. Look at what the prophet says about Jesus. Zechariah 9, 9. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and having salvation. He is what? Humbled and mounted on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. That is the description of, of who Jesus is. How did Jesus act? He treated others with patient mercy and grace from a nature of meekness and humility. Remember the time that all these crazy kids come and surround Jesus and the disciples are like, ah, you're being distracting. Pull them out. What does Jesus say? No, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. Let the children come to me. He commands and then turns around and commands his followers to actually be like those children. He acted in gentleness, patient, mercy, and grace. Consider the woman who is caught in adultery, who is pulled out 
of bed and drug out into the streets and thrown on the ground. And she is guilty, as guilty as she can be. And how does Jesus treat her? The first thing he does is wander over in the dirt and start writing. Why? Because all of their anger, their seething vengeance, all of this focus on her, when Jesus goes, it begins to scratch into the dust. What happens? Their attention moves from her onto Jesus. He he begins to carry their stares of accusation, carrying the weight of their hate and their anger. Jesus acts in gentleness towards her to carry their hate onto himself, not responding to them, them in hate, not responding to them with aggression, but carrying in meekness what they had to throw at her. And notice this. He was standing in the circle with her when they were holding rocks to throw. That's meekness. That's humility. That's esteeming her as more important than himself. Consider the leper who comes up crying out, who hasn't had human interaction in who knows how many years, who hasn't touched another human being or been hugged, who's been kicked out and ostracized by his own family and friends. And what is the first thing that Jesus does? He places his hands on him. That is meekness. That is esteeming him over himself. The God creator of the universe esteems the diseased leper over himself. Jesus had no care for social distancing. It was about loving this guy, gentleness. And here he is, the king of the universe, kneeling at the feet of his disciples, washing their feet, doing the most humble job of the lowest servant in the house, loving them. Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's continue because we get a nugget about Jesus here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We're comparing our minds to the minds of Christ Jesus. Here we go. Who? Jesus though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Meekness, humility, gentleness, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death. He laid down at the feet of his accusers, of those who wanted to hurt him, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has, what did he do? What are the promises? God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In his meekness, with every lash of the whip, with every punch to the face, with every bit of spit, every nail in his hand, He exhibited meekness. The king of the universe counted us, you and me, as more significant than himself. Jesus treated us. Fallen sinners, rebellion treated us with patient mercy and grace out of a nature of meekness and humility. We aren't seeking gentleness. We're seeking the Jesus who is gentleness. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, All you who are labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus is speaking. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am what? I'm gentle and lowly of heart. 
and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What burden? What burden are we laying on him? We're talking about insult attacks, the people hating us. We're laying that on him to be humble. Come to me is what Jesus says. Come to me as in walk with me. Be close to me. Absorb my nature into your inner being. Walk away from the flesh and walk in the spirit. Jesus gives a powerful illustration where it talks about him as king and everyone on earth of all time is in front of him. And he talks to those who are his own people and says, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And then when, when did we do that? It's so easy to treat people with love when we realize that however we treat people is how we treat Jesus. That's Jesus' gentleness inside of us being given right back to him. That's our nature because it's his nature. We have to spend time with Jesus because it's his spirit in us that flows out of us. How are we going to spend time with Jesus this week? Here's three challenges. Every week I'm giving you three challenges. One, confess and repent your sins. Spend time on your face confessing and repenting. The second one, play an instrument. Go find it. If you don't know how to play anything, slap your knees during worship music, whatever it takes. Go play an instrument for the Lord. Spend time with him that way. And the third is go outside and do some sort of chore or work outside and do it while you're praying. Spend time in his presence. Confession and repentance. Play an instrument. Go outside and spend time with him. And in conclusion, if you're interested in being a part over at New Heights Therapeutic Riding, if that like pinched something inside of you, you can contact them at uh, this website and this phone number up behind me. I can put it in the comments so you can find it. They're about an hour and a half away from here, but it's a beautiful ministry. And I encourage you, if you have a desire to serve other people, to express gentleness, this is a beautiful way that you can do it. Again, their name is New Heights Therapeutic Riding Center. Elevate, I love you. Heavenly Father, be with your people tonight. Lord, let us live and operate and walk in gentleness. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, we give our lives to you. And we begin right now with at least words saying, we trust you enough to fight our battles for us. We trust you enough that you are sovereign and your will is more important than my reaction. We love you, Holy Father. And we give tonight, we give our lives, and we give tomorrow and every day after that right back to you. Lord, let us walk in relationship with you moment by moment and step in step. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, Elevate. It's a joy, a joy to speak God's word with you. Have a great week, and I'll see you next week. Peace out. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.